It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, everybody? How'd you get along with that Jen Sincero pod? She's pretty awesome. Did you write a letter to your money yet? You should try it for real. Now, if you haven't tuned in yet, I highly recommend it. Jen is a very cool lady, and if you listen to her, you might just see a few positive changes happening in your life. Okay, so on to today's episode. I recently got with my man Arthur Baker. It's another transatlantic connection with Arthur dialing in from his adopted home in Miami. If you don't know Arthur, he is a legendary music producer and a DJ who's been on the scene since he gave Muddy Waters a ride home when he was 17 years old. He's worked with literally everyone in the music business from Mary J. Blige to Miles Davis, and he's got all the stories you expect from a guy who's been around the block that fancy. So kick back and tune in for some more rock and roll insider stories on Huey Off the Record. I'm great, Arthur. Good to hear your voice, man. Same, same here, man. How you doing? I'm great, man. How's Miami, my brother? It's, uh, you know, it's Miami in the, uh, you know, it's sort of tropical. It's been raining a lot, but last few days it's been nice and sunny, so I can't can't complain, you know? I mean, during the year it was great. It was a great, a great year. Like, the winter was amazing. The weather was great. Had some people come through. Yeah, so it was good. You know, the summer's usually shit, you know, I'm not, I'm not really happy being here, but I'm renovating my house, so I, I have to sort of be around, for sure. Yeah, you gotta keep an eye on them, man. <laughs> oh, man, it's so slow, and it's just, it's, it's real, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again if I had, if I had the opportunity, I would've just sucked it up and bought something, uh, you know, that I didn't like 100%, but, you know, I think the way it, yeah the way it went it's 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 a drag but it'll be great when it's done you know but when it's that you know that's the word when no i hear you there i'm in the yeah. operative word man i i you know becky did, did our house out, out in somerset where i'm talking to you from yep. now and and you know it was it's one of those old houses bro that you know you got to get permission to do everything here in England, so it's like oh. yeah the same here though you got to everything's planning permits and yeah yeah, so it, it's not. It hasn't been fun. <laughs> well, if you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you're sure it's not a train, you might be. <laughs> it might be something good happening, bro. Yeah, we'll see. It's just. It's been a. It's been a. Um, definitely been a rough. A, not a rough. Not a bad year. It's just been. You know, it hasn't. It hasn't been. A, it hasn't. It's been great because of the kid, of course. Yeah. But, you know, otherwise, it's been sort of slow. The first half of the year has been slow. So. Yeah, so you're you're a new dad. You know, I have I have a, a young daughter now who's uh, almost two. She'll be two the end of September. Yeah, mine's three. Was just three in July. Yeah, I met, excuse me. So yeah, amazing times, right? Amazing. Yeah, times. yeah. No, she's amazing. She's such a punk, man. She doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm really screwed because she doesn't listen now, and she's only three. So I know it's just gonna. It's not gonna get better. It's gonna get worse. You know, well, he, I have the same thing with my boy. So he, you know, he was when he was about two, we started realizing that he wasn't like all the other kids. You know, he wasn't just like, yes, daddy. Yes, mommy. He was like, yo, what, 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 what? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm getting now. I mean, well, you, were, you wouldn't want you wouldn't have it any other way, though, dude. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> no, 
great. So I can't. I'm not. I'm, I'm definitely not complaining. It's just. It's just that you know, being an older dad and, and having you know having a daughter who absolutely doesn't listen. You know, it's just she thinks it's funny though. That's the the thing. She actually thinks it's funny, which is which is cool. You know, it's it's cool that she thinks it's funny that she doesn't listen to me. You know? Well, yeah, that's they got to find something funny. At least they can laugh at their own stuff. But I think oh, she can laugh. She's she's a she's a super character. Well, that's what yeah. we get. That's what we get. But also, being an older dad, we can appreciate that. I know I do. I'm like, wow. If I was younger, I would totally not get the irony here, you know? Yeah. So what are you up to? Well, I mean, I'm doing a bunch of stuff right now. Uh, I'm in the studio with the criminals. We're getting some stuff really? together. Oh, yeah. Cool. It'll be the first time in a while. So we're, we're covering. It's gonna, We did a record years ago called Mimosa. And yeah, I know, I know, of course. So it was like a bunch of covers, a couple of reworkings of originals, some new songs. So we're doing that as like kind of like a template. We've we've got some cool covers. We got like a Neil Diamond cover and an Ice Cube cover. So and everything oh, in between. Cool. Yeah, so we're working it, man. We're having fun getting down. Right. Actually, you know what? I we should actually talk about the first time we worked together, which was in the, in, where was it? In L.A. Right. Was it L.A.? <laughs> I don't remember. Was it? It must have been L.A., right? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. Perfect it, was day. it was. It was 1999 because it was right before the millennium, right? That was, was it, right? It was perfect day, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, it's only rock and roll. Oh yeah, that's right. Damn, that's right. Yeah, yeah. God, at least I remember shit. <laughs> <laughs> you remember where it was? I remember where it was because it, it was A and M, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was fun. We got really hammered. Yeah, well, we could talk about that for sure. Yeah, man. So when I when I got that was like the first time I actually went out to a proper recording studio in L.A. I was fucking stoked, Arthur, man. Really? Yeah, that was a great studio too. A and M that 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 that, had, that has a lot of history. I had a lot of history to it for sure. I knew it from uh, from We Are the World, right? That was the one. Yeah. That <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I forgot. Yeah, we they they cut We Are the World there, and they cut um, God a lot of the A and M rock acts. Uh, Soundgarden probably recorded. You know, a lot of the rock acts on A and M recorded there, and, and uh, I never worked there. That was the only time I ever worked there. You know, I I'd gone to visit friends there, but I never I never worked there. I worked on a few of the other spots, um, Sunset, um, Sunset, one of the places. But yeah, I didn't do a. I didn't do a lot of work in L.A. I mean, the, the big gig I had in L.A. is when I did the uh, the Front Green Tomato soundtrack album, which we, we pretty much cut it all in L.A. So that was that was my big L.A. trip. Yeah, I'm trying to get back out there. I, you know, the idea now is like if we can travel for, for business, I take the family with me, man. You know, so to go out to L.A. for a couple of weeks to mix a record would be great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. I loved a cool. I loved A and M because it had like the gate. It was like getting on. It was like going on a lot. You know what I mean? Man, yeah, L A yeah, no, style. It was, it was it was fun. That that project was really fun. It was sort of one of those projects that sort of happened really weirdly, and then it it, it happened. It was gone. But when I look back and all the people around the record and, and how we recorded, because it, it was literally right before technology caught up with everything, so. Yeah. You know, we were using new technology because we were able to go and record people in their hotel rooms and, and you know, and backstage at gigs. But it, it almost was there, but it wasn't there 100%. So, you know, it wasn't as smooth as it would be now, but it was still so different that you could do that. And, and you know, we recorded, like, Mary J. Blige in her hotel room in Paris and and, and Jamaica and and. and backstage at his gig you know so it was like yeah. we, we were just i mean it, it was a pretty cool cool project actually looking looking back it was you know it, it uh yeah it, it, it sort of worked out pretty well actually but no yeah. one remembers the record but, yeah, well you know. i mean what, what did it come out as it was a it was a it was, came out as a well it came out as a children's trust it was yeah. bbc children's trust i think it went you know it was a top 10 record you oh know, yeah yeah, a, yeah. It, Made the pop chart, but they had thought it would be a number one, and there were, I, I forget what else came out, but there were a bunch of other things. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a really interesting group of people on the record. I mean, we had some really, really horrible pop acts, and then some really cool, you know, cool rock acts. And you know, I mean, think about who's on that record, man. We yeah, had, you know, 
Ozzy Osbourne and Iggy are both on that record. That's, That's yeah. <laughs> Pretty, pretty bizarre, and, and with the Spice Girls, you know, and, and Mary and S J, Club, and that's Club Seven. I think, yeah. I think, probably the, the 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 diversity of that record was probably the uh, when you think about it, it, it was the most diverse sort of charity record of all time. I think, you know. Yeah, I I'd say I remember I remember when I got approached by it. It was the reason I did it was like Arthur Baker. I was like, hell yeah, Arthur Baker, that's my man. I love that dude. And I'll tell you, you know, when when I look back on on my musical education, like I told, I think I probably told you, like Planet Rock. I remember hearing that and going, "I've never heard anything like this before." Yeah, when I when I did it, I thought that too. But is it? I mean, but I mean, that's like <laughs> yeah. that, that's like that's like someone like you're like in the category of people like Miles Davis for that kind of thing. You know, as wow. far as I'm wow. concerned. Thank you. Thank well, you. No, it's like you hear like Muddy Waters, you hear blues music, yeah. Electric Blues, so like yeah, that. that. You know, I love Muddy Waters. I actually met I met Muddy Waters and I met Miles Davis and I. Worked with Miles, but I never worked with Muddy. But I actually hung out with Muddy Waters. So oh, yo, dude, that, is that the story? Oh, tell me that story again, because that story is fucking amazing, Arthur. What the Muddy one? The yeah, Muddy the Muddy Waters story in your house drinking whiskey. That was cool. yeah. No, I had I had Muddy. Basically, I went to a gig. He played at this club in Boston called Paul's Mall, and I worked at a record shop that sold tickets for Paul's Mall. So I, I had free tickets to anything I ever went. Wanted to go see, and I mean the gigs there. Yeah, I saw, I saw Bob Marley play there. I saw um, God, uh, Little Feet played there. You know, you would see um, Horace Silver and Chick Corea and just everybody. But I went and I went to see Muddy Waters, and and I don't know why. Maybe it was maybe it was me, but no one, none of my friends came with me. So I actually went on my own, and and I just got a driver's license. So I, I was probably like I would say I was seventeen. And I had a car, and basically I went to the Muddy Waters gig. And after the gig, as you used to be able to do back then, you go back, you talk yourself backstage, mm -hmm. get backstage, and um, and chill with Muddy, you know. And I we're, we're talking and shit, and, and and basically all of a sudden he looks around and, and it's just me, and, <laughs> me and Muddy hanging out, and then he realizes that no one's there and no one's. He doesn't even know how to get to where he's, you know, where he. Uh, where he's staying, which isn't a hotel, which is at the promoter promoter's uh, house, which was in which was in Newton, which is you know suburban town, but it was the, the town right next to where I lived mm -hmm. lived at the time, obviously. So I said, well, you know, you know, I'll, I'll give you a ride, you know, no no fucking problem. <laughs> so I'm driving muddy waters, insane, because I'm like 17. He was probably 60 at the time, maybe maybe more. I don't know. And literally, it was in. It was. It must have been in like '72, I would guess '72. So basically, I said, "Oh, you don't mind if we stop at my house because I've got. I just bought Fathers and Sons, which is which was an album that he was out actually promoting. Yeah. So I got the record, and I said, "Oh, you want to come in?" So he came in for a second. My parents were up in, upstairs sleeping, and he came in, signed the record. Then we went. You know, we 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 went on to where we we were going, which was where he was staying, which. I didn't even know how I would have found it out because obviously there was there was no Google Maps or anything. I don't know how I would have got there. You know, you know, yeah. think about trying to find stuff back in the day. <laughs> I mean, right? I yeah. mean, if, you know, how do we how do we find anything? You know, especially when you were drunk or stoned, you could you would have had to know where it was. So I think <laughs> it was sort of in a neighborhood where I knew and, and it was close to like a coffee shop, whatever. I got him back and 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 Mojo Buford and and. Uh, God, who else was there? Are a few guys from the group, but Mojo Buford was one of the guys. So you know, they're they're just they're just you know they're drinking Johnny Walker and just hanging <laughs> out. So I, I literally hung out with Muddy Waters, drinking whiskey, and you know when I was seventeen, and and you know I have the I have the signed record. Unfortunately, no 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 selfies, you know. But what can you do? But you know, yeah, I, it was a it was a great it was a great night, man. It was you know. Back then, I had a few of those as a, as a young kid that that uh, just getting getting near, getting close to genius like that. You know, like one time we went to a Celtics game, and I was a big Celtics fan, and we were waiting after the game for autographs. And and, and Earl Monroe came out, and it was his rookie year. He was it was the Bullets, Washington Bullets, and you know we you know we get his autograph and everything, and we're talking to him. I'm there with my dad and my sister. And then again, he like looks around and then 
no one from the team was there. Literally everyone <laughs> left, and he was there on his own. And it was his first. Earl. It was his first. If it was his first trip to Boston, and you know, you know, you don't really, want, <laughs> you, don't you don't want to be lost in Boston yeah. as a black man, especially back then. Yeah. So literally, especially you know, whatever. So we said, oh, you know, you want a ride? We'll give you a ride. So my dad, you know, he got in the front seat, and me and my sister in the back seat, and we. And we again, he was staying out not in, not in Boston, like you know, not in the midst of Boston. It was more like a suburban hotel, which we eventually found because we did get lost. So it was sort of embarrassing. And then years later, because when he was living in when I first moved to New York, at, say around eighty two, eighty three, he had a label called Pretty Pearl Records, and he had Happy Hairston's brother uh, Curtis Hairston had a record on, on his label, which was sort of a hit around the time that I was having hicks there, too. So, you know, he lived in my neighborhood. He was living on the Upper West Side. So one time, I, you know, I just said, hey, man, you know, I'm in the music. And we started talking. I said, I know you'll never remember this, but we gave you a ride, you know, blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, yeah. And then I said, really? He said, nah, I don't remember. <laughs> That'd be too much, right? <laughs> which, was, which was funny. So that was, that was cool. So, you know, that kind of stuff happened. I mean, when I was in Boston and working in the record shop, I did get opportunities that, you would not have gotten if you weren't working in a record shop. I mean, I met, you know, I met James Brown. That one I have a picture of, so that's cool. I was like 19. I have a picture of me and James Brown. So, you know, that kind of stuff did happen. I, I was really pushy, and, and I started writing uh, articles at uh, the Bay Street Banner, which was a black newspaper, and I and I wrote record reviews. So, literally, I'd get free tickets through that, and I'd be able to get backstage and do interviews. So, that was, yeah, yeah I was probably like 20 then. So That's dope, man. I mean, I mean, meeting James Brown, I met James Brown, and the thing I always took away from James Brown is that he spoke a lot more softly than I thought he would. You know what I mean? Yeah. He wasn't going, yeah, no, no, he, yeah I, I don't know why I thought he was going to be shouty. Yeah, yeah. No, but he was like, you know, he came up to me, we did a gig together in Belgium, and he came up with his, his girl at the time, was like, Hey man, that was really, really, really special, man. I was like, pardon? <laughs> you know, I couldn't really hear him. I was like, what'd you say, man? But yeah, he was he was a really nice guy, man. Yeah, yeah. I met him I met him a few I met him a couple more times in the in, in you know in, in my career. Like well he was on he was on the record too. He was on It's yeah. Only Rock and Roll also. Yeah. But literally I, I wasn't there for that session because I was I was on vacation and, and Al Green had already stood me up on one, and I was like, you know, I know James Brown ain't going to show up to this, so I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back for, for this session. And then, of course, so that was a bit of a, that, that was definitely a drag for me because, you know, I, I never did work with him, so it would have been cool. I mean, I did, did meet him a couple of times, and I met him when he was, uh, he was sitting under a, he was sitting under a, a, a hair dryer, one of those old school women's oh, hair yeah, dryers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was having his hair rolled up and curled and shit. So I had a meeting with him while he was doing that. So that was that was clearly weird, but you know, that's <laughs> James Brown for you. Yo, what, what, tell me the the story about Miles Davis. How'd you end up working with him? Well, I worked with Miles actually twice, which uh, I did get to hang with him um, a little bit. Um, the first time, I actually, the first time was. Um, the first time was Sun City. He played on oh, Sun damn, City. Yeah, and if anybody yeah, so doesn't he, know Sun City, that's <clears throat> little Stevie Van Zandt and Arthur did this record about this place in South Africa, right? That you yeah, was like it was, it was like only. an anti-apartheid. Yeah, what Sun City was, it was sort of like the Las Vegas of South Africa, but yeah. but, but they made it in, in a separate homeland called Batu Batu Botswana, and and basically, so they said it wasn't South Africa, so. Artists could actually come and play, which was a lie. And a lot of artists actually did go and play. And Stephen went down there to do some research. And then when he came back, he was like, you know, we got to do a record. You know, we got to do a record. And, you know, Stephen and I just met and we were like, yeah, let's do it. I'm down. And we did this record called Ain't Gonna Play Sun City. I love that show. Literally, you know, we got, I mean, originally we were like, Stephen was like, yeah, we'll get four rockers and we'll get four rappers. And I'm like, man, come on, you're thinking too little. We're going to get everybody. You know, so basically we started using all our contacts and we ended up having unbelievable artists on the record, one of which was supposedly going to be Miles Davis. So somehow we got to Miles and he kept 
you know, we'd get, you know, we'd get, oh, Miles is coming tonight, and then he wouldn't show up, or he's coming in the morning, <laughs> and he doesn't show up. And then just one day, we're in the studio, and we're working with, it was Bonnie Raitt and Kashif were both in there recording vocals on it. And literally, you know, in my studio, uh, Shakedown Sound back then, you know, there was, a, there was a buzzer down, we were on the second floor, and there was a buzzer in the front door, and, you know, it would ring up in the studio, and, you know, usually people, there'd be people just screwing around with us and buzzing the thing and all that, but... Yeah, you know, we weren't really expecting anyone. We get a buzz, and it's like, hey, it's Miles, let me up. <laughs> <laughs> he spoke like in. that. We're that like, oh, shit, you know? So we, we, me and Steven were both there, luckily, and, and we're like, oh, my God, he's actually coming up. And we go back, and we tell Bonnie's singing, and Kashif is about to, and we go to Bonnie, well, Miles is coming up. So Miles comes in, and, he, you know, he was, he was he, I mean, there's pictures of this. He's dressed in a, he has like a, polka dot like uh, shawl like silk fuck i mean it was just he was dressed ridiculous it was like super fly like this was 80, 85 but he was dressed like it was almost like the 70s but you know big glass sunglasses you, you know he was super hip super yeah, hip yeah so we go we go we actually go back and uh you know we bring him back and you know bonnie sees him and she obviously immediately just sort of comes out of the, the control room and, and goes, oh, you know, Mr. Davis, you know, I just love what you do, you know, with your horn, you're just amazing. Yeah, baby, it's just my thing, you know, like <laughs> that. And he's just so, I mean, he's just so hardcore. And we put him out there, and, and, and literally, we had cameras there because we were filming everything, and, and there was this guy, Danny Schechter, who had been like a newsman from Boston. He was my, he had been my mentor when I was a kid because he was on BCN. Uh -huh. And he was like the he, during the Vietnam War, he was like the journalist on air. They call him Danny Schechter, the news dissector, and he was like <laughs> super love, hit. I love and then that. He moved man. To New York, when he moved to New York, he ended up have, being on 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 twenty twenty on ABC. So he had a lot of juice, and he was able to get like film crews there. Like he he'd get them on the slide. So we had a film crew there, and Miles was there, and the and the and the and the, uh, and the cameraman's in the control room with him. And we start playing the track, and it's like, uh, he's like going, you can't come in here. You're the wrong color. And we're like, oh, shit, is he talking about the cameraman? And we just let it roll. And obviously, he's sort of the voice of South Africa telling, you know, you can't come in here. You're the wrong color. So he did this really cool vocal thing on the beginning of the song, which is in, on the record. And then he just played all the way through, and it was, and it was just, you know, genius. It was amazing. And, you know, when Doug Winbush, who I think, you know, bass yeah, player, yeah, Doug, yeah. played with everybody, he had, like, just said, he played on the record, he just said, if Miles shows up, you've got to call me right away, you got to call me right away. So we had called him, and he runs over, and he's, like, out of breath, and Miles is about to leave, and he comes in. He played a living color, goes, right? He goes, Mr. Davis, you know, I've, I've waited, you know, I've waited to meet you my entire life, and Miles goes, well, I guess today's your lucky day. <laughs> it just totally, you know, like Doug's a pretty cool guy, but he totally blew Doug's cool on that. It just, Doug fell back like he had been shot. It was just a very funny moment. But um, yeah, so I worked with him on that. And then, and then when we did, when I did the uh, Listen Up the Lives of Quincy Jones, which was the Quincy Jones uh, documentary, we did a, Miles had been on, been in the film, being interviewed, and then when we did the, we did the, uh, the, uh, the premiere at at, um, at, uh, at the Apollo, um, we had to do a show, and literally it was me and Arif, because uh, Arif had worked on the soundtrack with me and written a song. We had written a song together, so literally there was a rehearsal, and there were, I mean, the people who played George Duke and Wayne Shorter and all these guys and Chaka and and, and James Ingram and all these people going to play, and literally, you know, I, it was it was sort of my my job to, you know, do the running schedule. So I had said to, to Miles, I said, listen, you know, we have this big choir, so I wanted the choir to open it up and and be in front of the stage, and then they they were going to like split in two, you know, like move to each side, and then Miles would be behind them, and I thought, oh, this could be really dramatic opening and you know the choir and then they part and there's miles and blah blah he goes man 
I just want to play a fucking song and get the fuck out of there. So I want to go in first. So he's like, he won't even listen to me. You know, he's not, he's not going to listen. So literally, he's like my daughter, you know, he's not listen to me. so he's not going to listen. And literally, so he's on first, but of course, being Miles, he wouldn't get off the stage. So he starts playing and he won't leave the stage. It's like he plays like 30 minutes. It was supposed to be like 10. And then in the mix of his, in the, in the mix the midst of his set, Flavor Flav jumps on stage to try to go give him a hug. Miles literally turns his back on Flavor Flav. <laughs> Two security guards get each of Flavor Flav's elbows and just lift him off the stage. So that was that was a crazy night. And literally, there's like no film of it at all. It's insane. No one turned it like nothing of that night. And that was like '92, so that was, was sort of was that the you know when people were starting to think about filming. I mean, and it was a documentary, so we have thousands of hours of stuff, but no one thought to film the the, the, the gig, you know. Wow. So yeah, so these those are a few a few of my many old old uh, OG stories, you know. Dude, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who's an English dude, and I was I was talking to him today. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be talking to Arthur on the podcast. He goes, yo, man, you got to ask him about the Hacienda. And I go, I don't, I, I know that he probably been in the Hacienda, but it's apartments now. And I think he was talking about New Order. Yeah, yeah, no, I've been to the Hacienda. Yeah, I was there when, I, I was there when, yeah, I DJed there a couple of times towards the end. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what I thought, man, because you actually, you spin, you spin some from dope records, man, when you go out, man. Did you keep all the Yeah, well, when I did, when I did, when I DJed on, um, when I DJed at the Hacienda, um, man, that was that was actually when I was really starting to get back into DJing. I hadn't DJed in years, so it wasn't. It was sort of like it was a weird set, which I think I literally think I have a um, a dad of it somewhere. Um, oh, that's dope. you know I played a lot of funk. I played a lot of Parliament. I played a lot. You know, I played. I pretty much played a funk set. I didn't play. A house, and I didn't play in the main room. I played in the basement, but it was sort of cool. You know, it, it was fun. I mean, I, I had been to, I probably went to the house end maybe five or six times. So I did, I did get the, a chance. I didn't, I started coming to London in, in 87 or 88. So I definitely made it up to the house end in, in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. So, you know, I was, I was there in the, I was definitely there in the heyday of the house end. And, uh, you know, I mean, back in the day, I started coming to London, it was definitely 87, 88, and that's when clubs like Shoom and Heaven and all, the whole sort of Balearic vibe with Ibiza, that that all started around then. So that was, that was a, it was a good time to uh, to be in London. I mean, I remember going to a rave with, with, uh, with Martin and, and Mark from, Martin, uh, from uh, Martin Fry from ABC, you know, so oh, yeah, yeah. literally, I was, I was sort of here for that whole era. I mean, I was in London for that whole era, which was great. You know, I mean, I, literally from 92, really, to 2012, 13, I, you know, I pretty much lived in, in, in London. So, you know, I mean, this is the this is the longest I haven't been in London in 25 years. I mean, I haven't been there since September. So, I mean, I'm, go, I'm coming in for a few weeks, but uh, this year it just didn't, didn't work out that I'd be there and, and Hopefully next summer, if everything goes right, I'll be able to spend the summer there. You know, because I, I do I still love being in London for sure. You know. Yeah, the summer's kicking in, man. I was I was driving around the West Country today, man. It's beautiful, beautiful stuff. I mean, last summer was a great summer. I mean, I spent like a month in London, and we sold our our our, our flat in, in Notting Hill, and we got a place in in Kensal in Kensal Rise. So I was sort of experiencing a new area, but there are a lot of nice parks there and. We were going to Queens Park a lot, yeah. so yeah, I was. It's well, a good, I, nice area. Yeah, I was up that area when I used to live in London, man. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm still, still, you know, still miss it. Actually, I mean, it would be cool to get back in, in 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 July for a few weeks. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be be there. I, I'm gonna put out a record around that time, so I'm gonna go back and try to like hustle some press and. Get some airplay, you know? Yeah, I don't know if I can help you on that. (laughs) (laughs) If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I did want to ask you about how did you get hooked up with the dudes in New Order? How, like, is it, like, I never... I don't think I've ever asked you, man. Yeah, they they um they approached me really. Um, my friend, who's unfortunately passed away a few years, Michael, this guy Michael Schamberg, he ran Factory Records New York, and basically they it you know it was after after Joy Division. It's right when New Order had started, and he approached me. It was probably eighty, no, it was like eighty one, eighty two, and and he approached me and said, oh, you know. He's, you know, new order. You want to, you want to do a track, a couple of tracks for them. They're going to be coming into town, and I was like, yeah, sure. I didn't really, I, I really hadn't heard their music, and then I went back and did, did some research and heard a level tear us apart and stuff. So I did some research, and they sent me stuff. And this is this is like crazy because they sent me a bunch of demos which I never even listened to because because you know at the time I was just about listen let's. When a group comes in, let's write together. You know, let's come up with something together. As a, you know, as opposed to producing something that someone else already started, and you have to match the demo and all that. So I was really all about let's let's do let's write in the studio, let's write in the writing room, which is what we did. We went out to Brooklyn and we wrote a couple of tracks, and and uh, I finished one, Confusion, and then they finished the other, which became Thieves Like Us. So. Yeah, I mean, we've been friends. I mean, we're still really tight, and you know, I mean, Hooky was in my wedding, and Barney. You know, I'm I'm really tight with Barney and Hooky, and, and obviously, it's a drag that they're uh, they're at war with each other. But you know, that's that's life. You know. Yeah, I mean, you hope they'll see the end of that pretty soon, dude. I, I want to ask you about Miami, man. Like, you've been down there vibing on the music. Can you give me like a little kind of like. I guess a bleacher report from what's going on. Yeah, Miami, Miami. It's funny because I always had, I was always successful. My tracks were really successful in Miami, like more than anywhere else. The electro stuff, yeah, all the soul sonic and all the all the the freestyle and even songs like I O U, play at your own risk. All that yeah. stuff was really really big in Miami and literally big for a long time. So basically, you know, I. I I bought a I bought an apartment here in like '91 or something. The first time I bought a place here, and literally I'd come down and I get uh, you know I get in a cab off of the uh, off of the plane and I'd hear like um, uh, play your own risk or I'd hear I O U or Planet Rock 
And literally, those songs were like ten years old. And yeah. they were, welcome, welcome they were, home, aren't they? Right? What? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, all those those songs you hear all the time, anyway, man. Yeah, but it was weird because it, this was ten years later, and it was sort of like on the regular radio. It was on pop radio, so they were still in rotation ten years after the fact, and people were really into them. So it was a really weird place. I mean, basically. It really, uh, like nowhere, literally like nowhere else. So a lot of people I meet here, you know, in New York, whatever, people like appreciate the songs and, you know, they might know who I am. Or what. But here, most of the people I meet that I'm hanging with grew up on that shit. And literally they're not, you know, say they're in their early 40s, you know, around that age. So, you know, they're like, you know, early 40s. So that, you know, we're talking... We're talking like 25 years ago. They were like 15, 14, 16. They were kids, and they were into the track. So it's it's sort of funny because these are people I hang with now, and they're like, "Dude, you know, you don't understand." You know, and, and you know, with, and also with Breakers, uh, with with Beat Street. So also yeah. with that. So that was really influential down here too. So it's really weird. So a lot of the guys I hang with now actually came up on on my music and and. Uh, and, you know, they're still making music and they're still doing cool things. I mean, there's a lot going on in Miami as far as clubs. There's a lot more clubs in Miami than there are in, in London or in New York. There's a ton of clubs here. There's great places. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of DJs who are either from here or, ba or based out of here from, you know, like, you know, the, the Merc guys, they're really good friends of mine. We, we're making some new music together. And they, you know, they are sort of the sound of Miami. They've been doing music since like late '80s, and they're when they were really young kids. So now, you know, they're they're you know they're mid forties now, and they're still you know still doing stuff. I mean, they have, they have a weekly at this place called Coyo Tacos, which I hooked them up with, and it's like it's a back room in a taco place, and they've got the best sound. And, and really? uh, wait, so dude, that, dude, dude I, yo, that that spot's been going for a minute. That taco spot. Yeah, it's like four, three years or something. But basically, I hooked them up. So they do a Monday. Every Monday, it's like they always wanted to have a weekly, like they were saying, like how Louie used to have Sound Factory Bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're like, we have, that's what they do. And it's literally, and you know, whenever I want to DJ, like next Monday, I want to go play some tracks. And, and you know, what, that I'm working on, it's really cool because, you know, when you play there, you, you definitely play a little bit more Latin than you would because his... Oscar's whole thing is a lot of Latin percussion. It's like techno mixed with, with Latin. So yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. Merck has always been. Yeah. So, you know, I was pulling out shit out of my old tracks. And it was funny because I found this track that I made in like, made in like 95 or something. And, you know, I played it out and people really got into it. And Oscar wasn't there. So I sent him the track and I said, I sent him like four tracks. I didn't want to just send him the one because... So I said to him, I said, his four tracks I got, you know, if you're interested in any of them, and he, he, like 20 minutes later, he got back to me. He said, yo, bro, what the fuck is it? What is that track? And I go, yeah, <laughs> something, something I, you know, I got it. He said, well, you know, I want to put it out on the label. And I go, oh, well, you got it. He said, well, when did you make that? I said, I made it like 20 years ago. And he couldn't, he couldn't believe it because it shit sounded so current. So it was sort of like trying to find stuff that I did that never came out. And then... I made a track called Koyo that, that I actually made for the for the for the club, and I did the vocals myself in my living room using a phone, you know, the iPhone and all that. Yeah, man. And I sent <laughs> and I sent that I sent that to him, and he said, "Dude, let, you know, that's slamming. Let, let let us mix that." So they're gonna mix that. So I'm doing a couple of tracks with him, and then there's Danny Days. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's another electro kid. Is and he, Dan he's, Danny Days, is he Kenny Dope's boy? Because I was down there with Kenny Dope one time, and he was like, oh, yeah, man. yeah, Kenny would know him, yeah, for sure. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's from Miami. He's living in Berlin a lot now. He, he plays all Berkheim and all those clubs, but he's a really cool guy. And then Maceo Plex is, is from here, was here. He's not, he doesn't, he's not here around here much. This cat Beirut has a club here. He plays a lot in Ibiza. He has a club. Called don't don't uh, don't don't sit on the furniture, and then there's a club called Electric Pickle. The guys from Soul Clap like have a residency there. There's a club called Trade, which is amazing. There's uh, there's Live, there's Story, there's Heart, 
There's space. I mean, literally, there's about 10 rocking clubs. Like, you know, That's any one of those clubs, you're going to find, you know, international DJs or local DJs, but they're rocking. So, I mean, it's it's a lot. To me, it's a lot more happening than, than, than London. I mean, maybe London's getting a little bit better again, but in, in Miami, there's like four or five clubs that are small clubs, like two, three hundred, mm. really cool vibe. Then there's like ones, a couple that are like a thousand. And yep. then you got a couple that are like two, and then then live is like probably twenty five hundred. But it, uh, then there's a place called Eleven, which is open all night, and it's a strip club, but they also have DJs and Diplo plays there and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, Miami, the, the the scene, the club scene is really strong. I mean, literally, you can you can go out and and uh, and then there's the Fillmore, and that's where all the, the gigs are. You know, this year I. This year I saw um, I saw uh, Iggy played there and and um, in New Order and the Pet Shop Boys. So they all that's that's where they play. That's so the spot. literally, you get a lot of groups coming through there. Uh, yeah, it's a great. I mean, it's a great music town for sure. You know, you get everyone comes through here. Yeah. So Iggy lives down there now. He's been living down there for like. Yeah, he's been living there for, yeah, for like twenty years. Yeah, like since that's the why, late nineties. That, uh, that's why he's alive. You know, I mean, yeah, basically. Well, yeah. You know, Bowie, Bowie, and Lou Reed lived in New York, man. Look at look at how that did him. I mean, literally, Miami. I'm sure Miami has a lot to do with Iggy's, you know, health and everything because he's in really good shape. And you know, he's like, you know, he, he, it's funny because he played he played on this tour that he was with the guys from System and all that, and he did a gig here, and he and, and he had a, he had a cold, and he was like trying to talk, and he was like. What the fuck was I thinking, man? Going up north, you know? It's my fault. I should have just stayed home in the winter. You don't go up north. What was I thinking, you know? So it was very funny. But uh, when he when he comes uh, out to England, because he has he does radio out in, here in the UK, man. Yeah, I don't know if he, I don't know how much he does there and how much he takes. But well, every sure. once in a while he comes through. He's going to be coming through on festivals. I'm going to be hanging with him. Yeah, yeah, he'll be there for festivals for sure. And Urban Ir Welsh lives down here now too. That, 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 that's my uh, that's my buddy, man. Me and him very tight. So uh, you know, he, he he lives here. He's living here half the time now too. All right. Well, I mean, you can see why, man. I mean, every time I go down to Miami, I'm always like, why why don't I live here? And yeah, I know, I know, and it's and, uh, seriously, it's literally even if you just do it six months out of the year, it's just or or four months or whatever. I mean, for us, we made we made the decision that we wanted, you know, to to have our baby grow up in warm weather and not and not like damp and not you know she's you know she's somewhat sensitive and you know, with colds and stuff. And I was just like, you know what? It's it's like, well, why not? And I, I mean, I love it here. So it's sort of... And, and also, know. like, I look at things like this, man. I mean, if you're near an airport, you could be anywhere in the world in, like, a, under well, a day. Yeah, so. that, that's why, literally, that, that's why I haven't been, I haven't flown, I haven't been in Europe all, all year. I mean, it's the first time, I mean, since September. But, you know, I'm planning on being there, being there more coming up. But, you know, this year it's been pretty. You know, not a lot of not a lot of reason to, to travel. You know, no. I to be, you got a young kid, man. It's always good to be able to kind of post up somewhere for a minute. I know I did that. That's you know, whoops, whoops. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. The UK. Uh, that that um that Duval from the Disciples is singing on, and, and there's a this is an old sample of one of my old tracks, a Will Downing vocal, and I think the song's called uh, "Just Can't Stop Dancing." And, pretty strong so i'm gonna be out there trying to get get it kicking off you know it's it's definitely not easy <laughs> these days but uh i mean how do you yeah. how do you see the, the landscape with like because i mean aside from being a producer and an artist man you also i mean you and i used to talk a lot about you know the hustle that used to be in the record business that's kind of almost not there anymore because no one really knows what to hustle yeah, I mean, back in the day, you know, you could put out a record on an independent label and sell fifty thousand and a hundred thousand or twenty thousand, and you know, it wouldn't it, it? It wasn't necessarily a huge hit, but there was a market for what we were doing. And you know, I mean, the first Tommy Boy record that that made any money was Jazzy Sensation, and that sold like fifty thousand. And that, and you know, and it got it, it, you know, Mr. Magic would play it. 
But you could be in New York at radio play, Mr. Magic, uh, a few spins on him, and and, and just the, the vibe in the city, you, you could sell 50,000 records, yeah. you know? And that's actually what kept Tommy Boy, that one kept Tommy Boy in business, you know, before we, we did Planet Rock. So it used to be way different, you know, and now there's so many more records, like it's insane because anyone... Anyone could make a record. Anyone could put out a record or put it online. You know, they, no one really cares about selling them. So it's, it's more like self-promotion. Um, but you know, you, you sort of want to sell something. You know, so I mean, well, that you guys, you know, you sell merchandising and stuff. But you know, as a, as a new, you know, if I if I put out a record as a new act, you know, unless it really takes off no one's going to want to buy the merchandise. So, you know, literally that's where the groups that have the, the heritage, like you guys, you know, you can sell, you can sell your, your, your merch and, and people, you know, you'll have fans who are going to go, Oh yeah, that's cool. I'll buy that. You know, cause it's like a brand, you know, when you have a brand, you can sell and make money on that. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you, if you're starting a new brand that really, unless, unless it's super successful or, it's super cool and clever, which I guess you got to sort of do that too. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard work now. That's for sure. It's hard work. Now you, you listen, like when you said earlier, man, like if you're an independent record label and you sell 50,000 records, that's like good money. Right. And that's with well, back then. If you, if you sell 50,000 now, you got a number one yeah. record in England. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you're like doing well if you can sell 50,000. I remember I'm I'm looking at a plaque now for was it for Loco and it's like over three hundred thousand copies. Dude, that, you would have been <laughs> if you sold that now, man. You you know, forget it. You'd be running, you know, the UK. You know, well, it's it, but it, it makes me realize. Like I remember when I got that plaque, I made a lot of loot from that record, man. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I was like, this is what I'm talking about. And yeah, for sure, man. I'm wondering, sure. like, I'm wondering about like the kids nowadays. Like, I'm saying, kids. I'm not worried about Drake's money, but you know, is, is does he making? He's he's not making it on record sales anymore. So essentially, he's like a live artist, and he's like a t-shirt salesman, kind of. Yeah, but you know, there's nothing. Wrong, there's nothing. No, no, no. Wrong with there's nothing wrong with that. Look, I'm all about the hustle and stuff, but it puts yeah. your priorities must shift to a certain extent. If like you used to be the guy that. You know, you're, you're making music to sell shows out, right? That's what I always thought we did. But yeah. you know, and then it was, then you get to be a musician that you're making records to sell records. And then when you're not even selling records anymore. You know, I want to make music, right? So basically, I like making music. And what do you do with the music? You put it out so that maybe you'll get, I mean, for me, it's either you put it out so someone's going to hear it and want you to remix a song. Uh -huh. Or you put it out. And it, and it sells, or no, it doesn't sell, but it gets an attention and you get some DJ gigs. Yeah. So literally now music really is just, it's a promotional device for other potential business. I mean, that's a reality, you know. For you guys, it'll be to get people to come and see your shows or, or buy your T-shirts or whatever. Because the, the, the record thing is you're not, you know, I mean, chances of actually selling a lot of records enough that makes it, were thinking about doing it to sell records is not it's not that easy you know it's not really happening i mean well you know, it happens very few people i mean it happens to some but of course you know you can't be tripping you know yeah you can't be tripping i i did notice like when the chart started shifting in the uk because it's not a sales chart anymore it's more they have streaming and that counts, yeah. I think it's like 10 streams counts as a buy or something like that. But it, it, yeah. it, it is it is like, you know, one of those things where, you know, you have to really like making music to make music nowadays. So I almost think that might thin the herd out because there was that point where everybody was getting famous for a minute and like, you know, everybody had a record deal. I mean, I remember hearing people who had record deals going, I didn't even understand what kind of music they were making. And then that all stopped and everybody was doing it on their own. And I think that's kind of... It's kind of proliferated it a little bit, but at the same time, it's made it, you know, you're getting better music on a certain level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hear music I like, you know, but the bottom line is, um, do I buy it? Not really. <laughs> I, I do occasionally, you know, if it's something I really want to DJ out that I'll, then, and I really want it to sound right, then you buy it, you know? Yeah. 
That's the that's the thing. I mean, even with, I mean, I, I might be old school, but I always I'll go to iTunes or something like that if I want to get a copy of something. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather pay for it than than to rip it off. But there was a point in my life when I wasn't always so generous. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm not that. I'm, I'll I'll do it with tracks that I really want. You know, have a quality copy because I want to. I want to. Uh, um, you know, because I, I want to play it out and it's going to sound good. Yeah, I mean that. That's I guess you know that's the the test of how good a song is if a DJ wants to buy it for his own collection. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, the other thing is now what I'm trying to do is when I DJ, I'm just trying to play my own stuff. And yeah. I'm trying to promote. I'm, and I'm trying to promote it in that way, and make it so that, um, so you know that I. I mean, basically, I've been talking to like a couple of agents because I don't have an agent, and we've been kicking around concepts. And one of those is sort of really specifically to promote it as that. But um, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, it, it's like unless it's promoted that way, then when you do that and you're playing like a lot of your old stuff and people don't know what it is they're just going to think you're a whack dj you know <laughs> you know what i mean because if, if they don't realize well he's playing stuff that he's made over the last 30 years you know it's sort of like if you know that then you might have an open air and it be appreciative yeah. of it. if you don't know that you're just gonna go. What you know? What what is that? What is he playing? You know, doesn't he have any new records? <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky for you, all the stuff that you did is dope. So, I mean, there are a lot of yeah, but that can't yeah, thank do that. you. But the bottom line is, it's like the kids. Uh, it's funny because I don't know. I probably didn't never told you the story, but the Martinez brothers had seen a thing I, I had done, like an electro set at the Scala in, in in London, and it was it was on on the internet. And they had seen it, and they were like, yo, bro, we're going to do this party in Ibiza. It's a villa thing, and it's going to be hip, and blah, blah, blah. We want you to play that set, you know. You know, we're going to – and I go, oh, okay, cool, man. I'll do it, you know. Uh, you'll see what happens, but, you know, I'll do the set. So I went So I went there. <laughs> what does that mean, so I went man? there, and I was like, you know, if they had sort of – if they had introed it, like if they had been playing, and then they play an electro track, and then I come in right after them – and play a few electro tracks, that would make sense. But they just put me in this area, and they said, yo, play your set. And then literally, you know, I'm playing it, and people are looking at me like, doesn't this guy have any new records? Like, for sure, you know, for sure. Because it was all young kids, and it was all hipster, you know, yeah. that I'd beat the crowd. So, you know, I was like, damn, you know. So then I just started playing some, you know, like house, house records you know, sort of like they wanted me to play early 80, 81 to 85, my, my shit. So then I started playing like late 80s, early 90s house, which is literally, it relates more to what's going on now in Ibiza for sure. Like the electro thing has never really, the, the electro that we talk about as electro has never really taken off in Ibiza because it's not straight kick music, it's, yeah. you know, funky kicks. So literally, so I started doing that, and it was rocking, and then, you know, then I just said to him, you know, listen, it's this is a reality, you know, people hear these house tracks out more than they hear the electro tracks, because they're easier to play, you know, you can, anyone can play old 80, you know, 87, 88, 89 house music, it's easy to DJ that stuff, because, you know, they're all the same, around the same tempo, you know, yeah, you straight just, kick yeah, drums, yeah. lots on of floor, drops, on the floor, yeah. Yeah, so it makes it easier. So it's sort of like you have to sort of educate the people and you have to really be be clever on how you do it. And, you know, I'm making a lot of new music that I, you know, that I think is in the ballpark. So it's sort of, you know, bottom line is sort of picking the ones that actually are more than being in the ballpark, that they're actually really good. And, and uh, that's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's definitely not easy, you know, because literally it was easier like five years ago. I was getting... A lot, a lot of gigs, and, and, and now it's sort of, you know, there's so much techno and so much underground, and it's just sort of, you know, no one really plays everything. You know, they, it's it's very ghettoized now, more than it more than it used to be. So well, if you're playing this, you're playing that. If you try to mix it up, unless you're, there, there, there are a few people who mix it up, and there are a few people who mix it up, but don't mix it up as much as they did five years ago. You know, you used to go to, 
DC 10 and Ibiza and hear a lot of vocals. And now you don't hear any vocals. It's just underground, you know, it's, you know, I guess it's the new drugs people are doing. So it's, it's a different, uh, yeah, man. Different synthetics, type, you know? man, synthetics. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, who the fuck knows, but you know, I still make, you know, every so often I make a really cool record. So, you know, it's just, it's just <laughs> hoping, all... it's just hoping one of those cool records actually gets enough play to make a difference. Cause you know, I, I had, I had one record out earlier this year that I did with Steve Mack. And it was a cool record, and Pete Tong played it a couple of times, and a lot of guys were saying, oh, yeah, I'm playing that out. But, you know, you need, like, a lot of people to play it out a bit to really make any dent, because it's so much music out there. And, and, you know, it's like you don't, you don't, you hear very few records, like one record across a bunch of clubs. You, you yeah. know, it, it, it doesn't really happen that often. Yeah. Well, you're right about the ghettoization of it, too, because if you have, like, say you're looking at, like, that kind of, like, that kind of old school house vibe, right? That's not going to yeah. happen in too many places. No, no, there's, there's, there's people who play it, but they're not like playing at the cool clubs, you know, it's yeah. sort of like, or the, the clubs that, you know, we, you know, we think of as being cool or, or whatever. I mean, you know, where all the, where all the hot chicks hang out, I guess. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, those <laughs> are know, all the, the cool clubs. Like, yeah. You know, I have a, I have a new track coming out called raise your hands and it's got, vocal samples from, you know, like Tata Vega and Daryl Pandy and stuff that I recorded like 25 years ago. And uh, Victor Simonelli did a, did a remix of it, and it's a real like old school house thing. And he plays it at his clubs, and he's like, yo, this is like a peak. People are going nuts. And then, you know, he shows me the people who are going nuts. And it's, you know, it's a really, it's an older crowd. And it's, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, if, if, if it's a hit with them and I can, if I can piggyback that on getting gigs in those clubs, then yeah, I'm down, you know, for sure. It's just, it's just a matter of what your, ex yeah, life is all about what your expectations are, right? So expectations have to change a bit, you know, now, nowadays, I think. Yeah, you're, you're right in the respect that, like, certain things are coming back, but, I mean, we, we look at who is... I guess like you know the generation du jour, right? And these and like the youngsters that are coming up, you know that I I got nothing really bad to say about them, but I just I just think that they could do they could do a little bit more to expand their musical tastes, you know. That's that's all. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I agree. I mean, it just it just uh, well, you know, people, you know, disclosure have come up with a lot of cool tracks. You know, they they they. They've incorporated the old with the new. I mean, there 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 are people who are making records that that do that. You know, it's not it's not it's not that no one does it, but you know, it, I mean, it, you know, there's some good music coming out. Oh yeah, just, I, I hear it. I hear it. I you mean, know, I mean, who is that? Who is? Oh man, did, did you talk to Quincy Jones about that young kid that he was working with? No. Uh. -uh. There's like, this young kid that's Quincy Jones is like it's, he's pushing this dude like and the kid is just literally amazing and yeah but the only oh man I forget the guy's name man anyway I the, the only thing is it's like certain certain dudes like that right like the guys he's not a mimic and that's the thing like yeah. I see a lot of I guess it's like just because that YouTube stuff's out there where everybody can see how John Bonham played drums or how Stevie yeah. Ray Vaughan played guitar or how Luther Vandross sang and stuff that I guess that all these different vocabularies become part of you earlier on. And it, it just seems like some, some of these young people are just so fucking talented, but they can't really focus it on a, a song or a style. Well, they, don't, they don't have true creativity. They're, they're, they're good at, they're good singers, but they're not great writers or they're decent writers, but they don't, you know, it's, it's finding stuff that's unique. But, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not one of those guys who go, oh, they don't do it like they used to. You know, it's, it's just like, you know, it's, you could say that the, you know, the Rolling Stones weren't as good as Muddy Waters. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, you know what I mean? It's but just, but it's the just Rolling Stones. To me, to me, that doesn't even matter. It's like they're making music not for us, they're making music for their kids, their own age. Yeah. And kids their own age think they're, Great. So we could say, oh, it's not as good as it was when we were doing it. But the and maybe it's not, but it isn't really relevant, you know. To me, it's not relevant. I mean, it would be great when you hear someone who's amazing and he's a young, amazing act, 
that that that's unique. I mean, you know, I I mean, I I like you know, uh, Childish Gambino. Those records, I think they're really good. Obviously, they're very derivative. Kendrick Lamar is super talented. You know, he's maybe a little bit more creative, but you know, they're you know they're affected by what came before, just like you were and I was. Yeah, so yeah. it's just you know they're 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 sampling things that you know were being made when we were making music too so you know you know i, I hope someone samples my shit again you know well i mean I'm, <laughs> all I'm, day i mean uh khalid just did what's his name dj khaled khalid yeah, he, he just yeah he just sampled one of my tracks so that's good that that'll 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 pay for you know a couple of weeks of private school <laughs> well you know yeah. what man i mean they, they, someone's making money because these guys can pay for sample clearances you know yeah, he's, he's so, a Miami guy, right? He's a local for you, right? Yeah, he is, but I, I've never met him. I mean, he did. He sampled Perfect Beat about five, 10, 15 years ago. He had a huge hit with it. He slowed it down. Yeah. That was like full on, you know, we got like we got like half of it. Well, dude, man. I mean, for the publishing catalog, you know, he still gets something on it, you know? Yeah, man. Like you, if you retain your publishing, man, you always retain your wealth, bro. Well, so, dude, when are you, when are you over here? When's that, when's that, when the music's coming out? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm actually going to be in town on July 25th through August 3rd. And then August 5th, I'm playing at Razzmatazz in Barcelona. All right. Good good, good spot, man. Yeah. Yeah. I love that place. You know, that's that's my boy uh, Javier there. He's, he's, he's hooking me up. I'm actually DJing with Todd, Todd Terry, uh, which should be fun. Yeah, you he's know? a dude, man. I love Todd. Are you, are you DJing much? Yeah, you I'm doing Glastonbury this week, this year. I mean, the thing is, I get a lot of people ask me to do, like, club gigs and shit like that. So I try to get out there because I want to keep my hand in it, make sure I can still... Still well, listen, a friend of mine, I'm doing something when I'm there. And when I told my friend, the guy who was like, kept beeping my phone, he said he'd love, he'd love it if you'd, uh, me and you did, you know, did a gig together. Oh, I that'd be awesome. It. That'd be awesome, dude. So let me, um, I'll, I'll email you the date and see if you can do it. All yeah? right, dude, I'm, I'm totally trying, man. That'd be awesome. And it's, in, and it's in Brixton, too, and it's a super cool club. What's it called? Have you, have you been to the Dog Star? No, I haven't, man. Nice spot. Oh man, fuck! <laughs> it's insane. Literally, it's it's. It, he, he's been running this place for like fifteen years, man. On the weekends, it's literally unreal. Like it's just fully crazy. I mean, literally, you know, packed, amazing crowd, people dance. It's just mental. It's a, it's like a big big old school pub, two floors. I mean, I, I, I did a gig with Flash there, which was amazing. I mean, we did a, a gig together. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll email you the yeah. date and see if you can make it if you're around, you know? That's awesome, man. I'd love to try, man. I definitely yeah. want to come check it out. I definitely want to do some a gig with you, bro. Yeah, well, that trust me, that would be the one to do for sure. It's 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 fun. It's really, it's it's a fun it's a fun place to do. It would be cool. All right, cool. Well, yo, dude, I'll tell you what, man. Let's uh, let's try to catch up when you're over here, man. I appreciate you taking the time with me, bro. Oh, no problem, no problem at all. Well, I love you, Arthur, and I hope I send my love to your family, your ladies, love as, to, as it love goes. Love to the family. Love to your family. All right. Back at you, my brother. Thanks, man. All right, take care. Man. Peace, Arthur. So you heard the man. Check him out. He's over in London and Barcelona this summer. You should catch him on one of his badass DJ sets while you can. Next up, I'm talking to my man Chris Lent. This guy is the producer of, among many things, the National Geographic show Drugs, Inc. that just hit Netflix as well. Now, I've worked on that show with Chris narrating the escapades of the illegal drug business in the world for over five years now, and it's great to see it go mainstream. So check it out, subscribe to the pod, and get the next episode direct to your device and the inside scoop on what it takes to make a TV show with some of the most dangerous criminals and gangsters in the world. And while you're at it, don't forget to rate, review in the iTunes Store or Acast or your favorite pod app. Pause reviews help us get more people in to do these things. So until next time, y'all stay classy. This is Huey, your boy. Mm-hmm. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.